Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Time now for... I don't know what we're yelling about! Overreaction Monday! Loud noises! Here's Pat, Pete, and Dan. Uh, welcome to the Overreaction Monday podcast. Yahoo Sports, College Pod, plenty to overreact to. And I just want to say, we've talked about this as the season has gone along. We've had some, you know, the first couple weeks, it, it was college football, but didn't really feel like college football. And then we had a few moments there a couple weeks back, I think when Mississippi State was beating LSU. Yesterday, even without the Big Ten and Pac-12 playing, they felt like college football. And there was about a, man, the window might have gone two hours of absolute batch national. You can't work the remote enough. The SEC was coming unhinged and the Red River showdown was uh, saying, yeah, we, you don't even know what unhinged is. <laughs> Double overtime ends with some Texas co-ed flipping off the camera. One of the great scenes of really college football. I like oh, when the uh, random fan becomes a oh, sensation. Yeah. That was the visual of, of the season, I thought, so far. That really and, and of the Bo, year. Bo Pelini looking like he'd been hit by a truck. Bo Pelini couldn't stop. A- that picture was awesome in The yeah. Advocate. You could feel that pain in Bo Pelini's face. Oh, it was just a, just a devastatingly perfect image. LSU defensive coordinator Bo Pelini, who uh, his defense got scorched by a backup Mizzou quarterback missing three of his five receivers. Yeah. yeah. And we yeah. now see is so bad that they made – the Mississippi State offense made us overreact and praise the Mississippi State offense like it was some juggernaut, and they made us two freaking points against Kentucky. <laughs> two, which is zero. They got shut up by Kentucky. LSU sucks. All right, oh. let's just let's just go right there. So yeah. anyway, I just think that moment where you just could not keep, you could not, Texas A&M and Florida's going on, and and uh, Texas Oklahoma's going on, and the LSU Missouri games going on, and then they're starting up these other games, and it led to the whole day. The shootout between Ole Miss, Alabama late, uh, prove it day turned totally. They didn't prove it. Miami and Tennessee go back to the drawing board. Pat, your thoughts on those 
I don't know, 90 minutes or so that just was absolute college football perfection. Yeah, no, that's what we want. That's why we love the sport because there's so much going on when you have this many, you know, and we still don't have all the teams playing, but that's one of the always been part of the allure over the NFL where there's 16 games at most and uh, in college football, there's a ton of games and there's always something crazy happening. And when it all starts happening at once, it's just the sensory overload of it is a lot of fun. Full confession admission here. Yesterday afternoon, I'm sitting in Brad Brownell's office, the basketball coach at Clemson. I'm going to cover Clemson, Miami at night. And I'm like, I, you know, I got a hold of him. Hey, can I come over and just, you know, talk, shoot the shit, whatever. And uh, he's like, yeah, why don't you come over at three? And I'm like, ooh, three. That's going to be right when those noon games are ending. But I'm like, sure, you know, I, he, he, beggars can't be choosers. I can't tell Brad, no, nah, can you make it a little bit earlier or a little later? So I'm sitting in his office and I, he's got uh, A&M in Florida on TV. But then my phone is just blowing up with stuff from various people about what's going on in Dallas and what's going on? I'm just sitting there with severe FOMO at that point. You know, like, oh my gosh, can I please just get to three televisions right now? <laughs> well, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, that is uh, that uh, a thrilling uh, read on the Clemson basketball program. That's, <laughs> that ought was to click. That, that ought to was click. It, was it the what, how we missed on Zion and fired yeah, our we, assistant coach because he happened to say something about football? <laughs> <laughs> That's the most interesting thing that happened in Clemson basketball the last 10 years. We had the number one recruit, the program changer, one hour from campus, and he always and his and his stepdad played for Clemson. Yep. And he went to Duke. And he went to Duke. We lost him. That's is a history of Clemson basketball right there in one sentence. Didn't get Zion. Still suck. Let me write your story for you. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, we Appreciate think we get to that. 19 and 11 this year. Maybe uh, get that. <laughs> Nine seed in the West region. I'll send you the raw copy. You can edit right. it for me. Well, let me just say this. I'm glad you don't work for us anymore because you were screwing up. Pete, how well great were those two hours not talking to the Clemson basketball coach? They were completely dizzying. I had an iPad, a computer, and then my TV. Literally, like, I didn't want to move. Like Two of them were on my lap and one of them was on, and it was just literally like, how do I turn the volume up on one and down on the other? And it was it was just wondrously dizzying. And it was just so much happening all uh, all at once. I mean, you have now Jimbo Fisher's underpaid, right, Dan? We're talking about that for weeks. I'm glad we could motivate Jimbo and said <laughs> such nice things about Jimbo on this podcast. <laughs> a, a we saw it all along. We destroyed him last Sunday, last overreaction Monday. And now uh, let's start the there. And Kellen Mond, who uh, I think, oh, I think yeah. he took some beatings. What a throw at the end. Oh, Great yeah. win for the Aggies, clearly. They need it. I don't know if this is the signature win because my guess is Florida isn't really that good. They're still a little ways away. But great win for Texas A&M, especially coming off of really non-competitiveness against Alabama. So maybe we can we can start with that. That was a great performance. Yeah, no, I, uh, I was talking to a coach on Friday who listened to our podcast. He was like, man, you guys really went in on Jimbo. And I was just like, well, I mean, he makes 75 million bucks. It's all guaranteed. He has really won a lot of games. I was like, I was like, well, maybe we, we, it's the overreaction Monday. Maybe we went a little too hard. So we'll give Jimbo. You could tell the moment they won how all that had been eating at Jimbo Fisher. Did you see his reaction? 
he sprinted down the sideline. He gave a couple like running fist pumps. And I wrote this in takeaways. Jimbo is the most difficult coach in America to transcribe because he talks like the old micro machine man. He's like, (laughs) you know, his his syllables went at tempo speed, man, even for Jimbo. He was like 30 percent faster when he did his uh, postgame on CBS. You could tell. That's that stuff eats at coaches now that they can say they don't read it or they don't hear it. Oh, they read it and they hear it. And oh, yeah. uh, there was there was some catharsis for for, for Jimbo on Saturday with that uh, with that win. And uh, yeah, Todd, old Todd Grantham couldn't uh, couldn't couldn't get it done on third and Grantham uh, for Florida. They uh, they I thought their secondary would be better, but they were just they just got picked apart. I think Jimbo left as a one star review. Uh, after the game. <laughs> He's the guy who says we laugh too much. He didn't share us on social media and he didn't tell his <laughs> friends about us. Didn't. None uh, of the above. No, great, great win for, for Jimbo. Uh, one interesting thing, he there was a uh, less than capacity, obviously, crowd at, in College Station, but uh, but a, a, a vocal one, as the 12th man will do. And Dan Mullen of Florida said it was a major factor in the Gators' loss. Now, I don't know how that's a major factor because if you aren't prepared to play in front of full stadiums, like, I mean, this is college football. Full stadiums are the major factor. There's still a lot. But it was a factor. Mullen wants a packed house at the Swamp next week against LSU. He wants 90000 in the Swamp because uh, legally you're allowed to do it. I don't know if the Florida will follow that up, but I thought that was pretty interesting that it, that he had it. Uh, Pete, Pat, you have any comments on uh, on Jimbo that you didn't watch? Uh, no, no I, I've got a lot of comments on Dan Mullen and what he had to say, which I thought was pitiful. And he this he brought that up right off the bat, volunteered at the beginning of his press conference, sat down, great game, great atmosphere. You know, it certainly seemed like there was a lot of people in there. I know our governor passed that rule. So hopefully, certainly, hopefully the university administration decides to let us pack the swamp for LSU next week. 100% because that crowd was a major factor in the game. So I certainly hope our university administration follows the governor who has been roundly ignored because the governor, Ron DeSantis, has done a horrible job managing the virus situation in the state. But this is the most flagrant redirect. Don't look at me because my team went in there and flopped and my defense was terrible. Let's talk about them and their crowd and then let's get us to have a crowd. I mean, I, I just thought that was such a pitiful Lack of accountability for your team losing a game they were absolutely expected to win and then turning it around into this, which is completely irresponsible, which Scott Strickland, the athletic director, said after the game, we will continue to follow UF health and campus safety guidelines. No, we're not packing the swamp. And as a matter of fact, they had, I believe, 18,000 tickets for sale at their home opener. They didn't sell all of those. So they ain't getting 90,000 anyway, Dan. Sorry to break it to you. Get your defense better. Quit talking about the fans. There was an announced crowd in, in College Station of 24,079. Yeah. That place seats like 105. Kyle Field is mammoth. So I'm with you. I don't want to get into what the protocols and safety precautions of COVID are. I don't know. But. If a 24,000-person crowd in a 100,000-seat stadium is too much for your team, yeah. that's ridiculous. I mean, it's, it's not a big crowd. It's a small crowd. No. no one has been able to go to College Station and get such an advantage of only having a quarter of the people there ever. I mean, even when they suck, they show up at Texas A&M. Yeah. Yeah. 
So they it's do. like, what a lame excuse this is. Dude, if you don't beat LSU, <laughs> yeah, LSU's horrible. So yeah. you can beat them with three people watching. Dan <laughs> Mullen get three of his cousins down from New Hampshire, and they can watch the game. That'll be enough noise to beat LSU. <laughs> so bad excuse. For big Dan Mullen fans here, bad excuse. I yeah. agree. Defense was terrible. Yeah, complete emotional reaction. Um, yeah, it was just it was it was not wise of Dan Mullen to do that. His administration completely shut him down. I mean, he was going off of the the headline that came out earlier in the week that said the governor says you can pack hard rock, and the Dolphins immediately went, "We're not going to pack hard rock. We're going to do what we've yeah. been doing for 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 safety." Yes, and like maybe I'm trying to think of the timeline of the day. So Dan going to that press conference probably didn't know that LSU had just been thrown in the meat grinder by the mighty Missouri Tigers. Um, and I think Pat's son, Mitchell, actually started at slot receiver for Missouri, making the win all the more impressive. Um, yeah, but like, yeah, no no excuse for that. Florida's going to be fine. Their defense no-showed. Uh, yeah, it just, it, it's, it's very simple. Mullen shouldn't have said that. All right, uh, Mizzou... 45-41, goal line stand to win the game. Pretty awesome. <laughs> and, yeah. and fairly ironic in a 45-41 game. It really was. Defense came up big, and they were letting the clock tick and everything. It was like, this is it. We're going to win it with our D. They do. Um, it, it had Patriots-Seahawks Super Bowl vibe at the end. Because it's yeah. the, do you let them score? Do you right. call timeouts? Like, all those things. And you know, Drinkwitz, God bless him. He just said, no, we're going to rely on our defense. And, you know, it, it worked. They had two huge tips on, on third down and, uh, and fourth down. And, yeah, that mighty, that mighty Mizzou defense. Uh, well, you know, in that game of the Super Bowl, one of the things that Belichick says is you timeout stops the clock. It also allows the other coaching staff to get organized and the players to get organized. So there is a cost to the timeout. Yep. And. I'm not saying they ran bad plays because they, but they, they, it didn't work. Um, but you know, you put pressure on the other team when you're not stopping that clock and they're expecting you to, that also changes things. Cause all of a sudden, it's mm -hmm. just, so whatever it worked and, uh, and they have know. to throw, which they might not want to do in that yep. situation. That so was, that's it's what, off balance. That came up in that, in that, right. Super that's Bowl what's got the well. Seahawks. Yeah. yeah. That's what got the Seahawks. Now they probably still should have run the ball, but. How bad is LSU? I mean, is this uh, this this can get really ugly really quick? And we've talked about the perils of a ten game SEC season. There are no cushions. There are no easy wins. You are not going to be three and one and then start an eight game season. Uh, LSU could have a very very poor season here if they if Missouri is the bar that they're losing to. Now I understand that game got shifted at the last moment. There's a hurricane that. It hit, you know, our thoughts with Western uh, Louisiana again. That could have affected some of the players' mindset. Some of the kids are from out there. I, you know, there's a lot of factors that go into this, but you can't lose to a backup QB. You can't let a backup QB at Missouri with no receivers torch you like that. Uh, and they did. So, you know, is LSU on the brink here of, I mean, they got to go play. I'm going to look at their whole schedule here. They got to go play. Uh, Florida, they get South Carolina, then it's Auburn, Alabama, Arkansas, that's no joke anymore, Texas A&M, and then Ole Miss, which, you know, can score points. So not exactly yikes, right? Here's yep. a question. We can, we're, we can talk about this for a while. LSU at Arkansas. Is Arkansas favored if that game's Saturday? Wow. Think about uh, that. Uh, Arkansas. Think about that. 
Before the season, that's a 35-point line, right? A 35-point a line, maybe a 28-point line, maybe. If and they right aren't now, favored, I'm betting them. <laughs> Arkansas is pretty good, man. <laughs> oh, they got hosed. We can talk about that. We yeah, we'll get to their later. hosing. They'll um, get to their hosing. But. I, 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 I say that because I wrote about LSU in the uh, in the takeaways on uh, late Saturday, and for sure, for sure, they are going to be underdogs in four games, probably five, but definitely four. actually, shoot, they're going to be big underdogs to Ole Miss. So. They've got seven games left right now, LSU. At Florida, South Carolina home, at Auburn, Alabama, at Arkansas, at A&M, Ole Miss. Right now, I would think they are underdogs in six of those seven games. They may be favored at home against South Carolina. Now, a lot, a lot can change, as we know. In, in three weeks, we've, we've seen a lot change. You guys you guys disagree with that? Six to seven, they're underdogs in right now? I, I think a three-win season is very, very reasonable if we're just taking this snapshot. Yes. And saying, all right, they beat South Carolina, they beat Arkansas, it's a toss-up with Ole Miss. Or or they beat, you know, but at AM, Alabama, Auburn, I don't like their chances, in Ar- and at Florida. And Arkansas really beat Auburn yesterday, so, I, yeah. No, that's, I mean, I looked at last year, the line, Arkansas at LSU was 42. Then this year we're talking, we might say Arkansas should be favored. I mean, it's it's crazy. Crazy. I mean, to see a, def- a defending champion just plummet like this. Here's a couple defensive stats for you. This is how bad it is right now for Bo Pelini, who's getting $2.3 million as their coordinator. Missouri in games that were not against LSU is averaging 15 and a half points and 330 yards. Missouri against LSU, 45 points, 586 yards. Mississippi State in games not against LSU. Eight points a game, 358 yards. Mississippi State against LSU, 44 points, 632 yards. So not only like is LSU getting gashed, but they're getting gashed by teams that are being easily stopped by their other opponents. That is really bad. And I know they lost almost everybody off that defense, but come on. It's like they've got no players, no plan. What what, what is going on there? I, I think it gives you an appreciation of like how difficult it is to do what Saban does every year. To yeah. send off the eight, nine guys to the NFL and plug and play. And really the staff turnover. Like Dave Aranda was probably the most underappreciated uh, assistant on that staff. Joe Brady was the genius. He went off. He's doing just fine with Matt Rule in Carolina now. But Dave Aranda, even before he got to LSU, remember, he was considered one of the five best coordinators in uh, in, in college football. Yeah. So I, I think Aranda really managed that unit. And again, Orgeron was always not the easiest guy in the world to work for. Now, when he started winning, he had changed and everything went. Well, I'd like to see what that facility looks like today. Do you think Ed Orgeron's the, the guy from 60 Minutes, the guy they're writing books about? I would think it's Ed Orgeron scrambling and fighting for his job and his livelihood right now. I wrote this weekend, I ripped them really, really, really strongly when they lost to Troy in 2017. That was one of, uh, it was early on at uh, when, I, when I got to Yahoo. I really thought that was going to be the end for Orgeron. I did not think he would be able to survive that, in part because Troy just out-toughed them. You know what I mean? It wasn't like Troy had some goofy system or threw for six yards. Troy just ran the ball down their throat in Death Valley for four quarters. Uh, and credit Neil Brown. Uh, amazing performance. Great team. Great win. 
I really thought that could be the tipping point. That could be the beginning of the end for Orgeron. Because remember, he was the fallback hire to Tom Herman. They had Joe Oliva, who was sort of the incompetent AD, who was kind of this bungling boob who was mocked in SEC circles, who basically they didn't trust to hire a real coach. And all the politics and all the all the nonsense around LSU is 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 crazy. And mind you, it's a good time to remind you that the LSU football program is tied into the basketball scandal that's that's unfolding right now in that they had the Our Lady of the Lake hospital guy paying off players. And as of right now, Pat, correct me if I'm wrong, those are under the same umbrella of an NCAA investigation. So if you want to see like this this brilliant once a generation dominant season fall apart. Well, you have the on-field fall apart and then you have an off-field time bomb ticking unless that gets separated, which they want it to. So it's really a really a fascinating, a fascinating time at LSU. And the danger in having a head coach who is not schematically involved, who is a recruiter and a motivator, all of a sudden today you wake up, you don't have the recruits, and you are at a schematic disadvantage. That is one thing we can say about LSU this season. They are at a distinct schematic disadvantage. From Jump Street, when Drinkwitz ran the trick play to start against Missouri, their defense was a step behind and never got caught up. They got completely out-schemed. You cannot tell me, pound for pound, the Missouri Tigers have better players than the LSU Tigers. Zero chance. So now, all of a sudden, Coach Rara isn't bringing a whole lot to the table. Because next year's recruits aren't coming for a few more months. So I really think it's an interesting time for LSU. And for as much praise and as much sort of like prose was thrown at like Edo's mom and all like the Cajun stuff, that's all great. He is right now a failing coach in the SEC. And there is on the horizon imminently more failing coming. Wow. Firing Coach O. <laughs> I didn't he's, fire him. I just said like, he's failing. Oak for reaction. He's scrambling for his job in the facility. This is I love like, it. Gene Chizik 2.0. That's what I said. I said that he, last for a couple of podcasts ago. He I gets think. two years. He's not getting fired this year. No. Pat's he's like, you're not going to overreact me. I was on this weeks ago. No, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not firing him this year. You got him fired 10 I'm not months after him this he year. won I'm the championship. Saying, when you backslide in the SEC, it's really, really difficult to turn the battleship wow, because all of a sudden now talent there. you're hiring new coordinators. I, the, the quarterback's actually pretty good. Like you can't blame the quarterback. I just it it'll be really interesting to see if he can manage in chaos. And right now they're in chaos. They could use a cupcake to come in. They could use incarnate word to come in. <laughs> to settle <laughs> floss their teeth with a little yeah, incarnate they, word <laughs> they, they ain't getting it that's the problem yeah, with this that's season the thing, that there are a lot of sec coaches saying that right now saying gosh where where is our citadel where's our presbyterian where right. is louisiana monroe you know They'll t- yeah it, it's it's that's 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 an issue all right let's get to arkansas quickly trending the other way now i know they didn't win the game and they got screwed we'll get to the screwing but sam Pittman, man he's got these guys playing I, I wa- this. I've watched more Arkansas. I don't know why. I mean, the games are good, <laughs> but I've watched a ton of Arkansas football. Woo! Arkansas and UTEP. That's all Dan. I ah, crushing loss. Crushing loss by UTEP. We were. They had the lead. We were heading to four and one. Going to beat Pete's favorite Skip Holtz. Good man. <laughs> but no, didn't happen. La Tech came back and won that. Uh, anyway, UTEP looks like a viable football team, though. So that, they do. I give them that, credit. Uh, we're taking that as a victory. Uh, out in West Texas. But, I mean, Arkansas had, uh, there was 
three or four different times during that game, Auburn looked like they were about to deliver the knockout blow you're expecting. And it didn't happen. The way the way when you watch Miami against Clemson or Tennessee against Georgia, it was like, all right, these teams aren't as good as the other team, but they're kind of in it for a little while. And then eventually, forget it, like floodgates open. Arkansas hung in there. And then this play at the end, which the SEC has now admitted they they screwed up. Um, Bo Nix is trying to clock it. If you didn't see this play, Auburn's quarterback Bo Nix is trying to clock it so they can kick the field goal that will win the game for Auburn and, and then eventually does. He fumbles the snap and then tries to clock it, which you can't do. So, which is a play you've just, I, I've never seen watching football. I've never seen the quarterback fumble the snap and then try to clock. So then it becomes an intentional grounding. Because, right, you can't, you, you so, have yeah, to. I don't, I don't know the rule. I was going to ask you, Dan, because you, you were watching that game. Was, I, my understanding was him clocking it backwards was well, the that, fumble. Th- uh, that's okay. the second part. So okay, but the I first think, part was he fumbled. Can you not clock it after you fumble? That's what seemed to be what they were saying is you can't, if you fumble it, you can't clock it. And I think when he fumbled it, it it, it, it turned his body around in a, a, like normally, I mean, how many times we see someone clock it? It's never been an issue. Yeah. Pretty simple. Get it, throw it at your feet. Done. Yeah. He was he was awkward, and then I think it threw the 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 referees off because it was like, oh wow, and then he clearly clocks it backwards about half a yard, and so that's yeah. not a clocking, that's not a pass, that's a fumble, and then uh, number number uh, seven, uh, I think it's Joe Joe Fauci. I don't know. I'm sorry, I mispronounced your name. He gets right on it. But at that point, they had blown the whistle dead. And I I think Arkansas recovered that fumble immediately. This guy was the only one around the ball and got it. The SEC says it wasn't immediate. <laughs> I don't know, man. It looked pretty immediate to me. It was right there. Arkansas had that ball. They won that game. Now, they won because of a weird fumble, but it doesn't matter. They got screwed on that thing to me. And that would have been a massive victory for, for Pittman and that program. But regardless... This team's good. Like, this is a good, all of a sudden, out of nowhere. And talk about, well, LSU sitting there going, well, we don't have any players. Really? You got four and five-star recruits everywhere. What the, who the hell's Arkansas got? They haven't recruited anyone in years, you know? So it's a victory anyway. For the, If I'm an Arkansas fan, I'm pretty bitter today, but I'm feeling pretty good about where this is heading. Pat? Yeah, I mean, I, right now, if you if you had to vote for an SEC coach of the year after three games, it's Sam Pittman without a doubt, I think. I mean, phenomenal start to his tenure there. And it also it shows what a how completely it seems uh, Chad Morris had lost all of his players by the end of that thing. Because, I mean, they weren't just getting beaten. They were just being destroyed by everybody. So good for Arkansas for having that fight, you know, and and being and looking like a pretty well coached team out there, and yeah, I think they absolutely got got hosed from what I saw of this. And and I think Dan, I think your uh, you know, kind of appraisal of the whole play is is right. That a, you know, I mean, it was you can't you cannot spike a, a, a you can't do an intentional spike if you've already fumbled the ball because you've lost the intent of the play. And then b, you, you can't spike it backwards. Uh, and that, yeah, that sounded like a complete cop out by the SEC office, I thought, to say, no, well, because they didn't recover it immediately. It's like we're just trying to cover for ourselves here. We we did not 
make the right call, but we've got this thin out that we're going to try instead of just saying we made the wrong call. And the SEC officiating, I think, is better than most other conferences, but uh, they also, are, I think, are a little bit more CYA than other conferences sometimes with their errors, and this one looks like that. I almost feel like the I feel for the refs a little bit. It was such a weird play. It was a weird that play. you wouldn't run through that progression of like I'm referees are always looking like, is he tugging on his shirt? Was it, you know, the, the different things they're looking, the checklist they're going through. Who the hell's ever seen this? <laughs> so I, I don't think they, they were going, wait, was that backwards? So I give Sam Pittman credit. I did not think Sam Pittman was a great hire. I don't know if any of us really stood on the table for Sam Pittman other than uh, other than his uh, little chants and uh, hashtags that he that he brought up. Yes, sir. Perhaps yes, sir. Perhaps the occasional chuckle. Uh, here's where Sam Pittman is thriving and where Chad Morris failed. Chad Morris failed because he hired John Chavis, and John Chavis was five years past his prime when he went to Arkansas. 10 years ago, 15 years ago at Tennessee, at LSU, John Chavis was a good coordinator. Remember Kevin Sumlin came in and stole him away and paid him a ton of money to go to A&M. At that point, John Chavis was already past his prime. The game had passed him by. He couldn't connect. So then, inexplicably, Chad Morris, who's an offensive guy, a play caller, goes and hires Chavis, who's like just – it was – the biggest disaster hire that you could have seen, it was fireworks at midnight from a mile away, all right? Chad Morris makes that hire, and John Chavis is an utter disaster at Arkansas. And so give Pittman credit. Look, he's a offensive line coach coming in and has been around the SEC and understands what works and what doesn't. He hires Barry Odom, who is an excellent coordinator. He was not a very good head coach at Missouri. He'd be the first one to tell you that. But the guy can call a defense. He did it at Missouri. He was very good at Memphis during the Fuente years. Um, he was really one of the promising young guys in the profession for a period of time. And I really think that's the difference. Like, okay, does your unit have energy? Are your guys playing hard? Is there a direction? Is there like all the things you want, the run the ball, swarm the ball, all that stuff Arkansas is doing? They are not the most talented, but they've recruited okay. Like Morris actually wasn't a disaster recruiting-wise. And they've lost some players and they filled some holes, but give give Pittman credit. And he, he obviously brought in Kendall Bryles. Now they have not scored a ton of points. They've been competitive offensively. Felipe Franks has gone, you know, continued to, you know, be a, a, a nose above mediocre. But, like, he's been a functional SEC quarterback, which you couldn't say for him at all times when he was at Florida. But, like, I give Pittman a lot of credit. Like, he'd been in the league long enough where he knew what would work and who would work. And he went out and hired a staff uh, accordingly and has really just energized a roster that was defined by apathy. All right, let's get to great moments in SEC coaching mask wear. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, let's start with Jeremy Pruitt, who in <laughs> keeping it with, he, you know, they played Georgia, uh, obviously is close for a half. Georgia eventually just overpowered him and ran away with it. Tennessee still got work to do, but. Sully um, hung up half a banner in his, uh, in yeah. his apartment. The first half Sorry, SEC Sully. East championship. <laughs> He's clinging to that half. Yeah, Georgia front seven that. came in and burnt the banner, banner is what they did. They not only were sacking JG, they came to California, sacked my apartment and lit that banner on fire. Pat, what was the total of the last four Georgia Tennessee games? Do you remember? Oh, it, it doesn't matter, Pete. It's misleading. It's misleading. Oh, okay. Sorry. Sorry. I didn't mean mm. to mislead you. <laughs> yeah. No, the total. The total is, I believe, 166 to 47. The fact is Georgia 
is the hammer. Tennessee is the nail. That did not change again this week. And I'm sorry for anybody who wants to say otherwise, but those are the facts. Those are the numbers. That's the way this series has gone. It was not a, uh, yeah, it was more like Tennessee fans seemed happy. They kept it close and were in a CBS game. Uh, but yeah, that's, they got, they still got, they're still got work to do. But this mask, uh, <laughs> he, he wore it. It was like a neck. It was like a neck. What do they call those things? Gator, a gator, neck gator. But he wore it. He pulled the back part up over his hat. I would think you'd put it on and then put the hat over it. He then just ran it under his chin. It covered all parts of his face except the parts that are supposed <laughs> to be covered. Okay, now. I. <laughs> so here's what you're missing. It you're was also supposed to, orange and white checkered. So yeah, it, it was, looked <laughs> ridiculous, but the fact that it was orange and white checkered, like the end zone, like made it ridiculous times 10. Like. So, some assistant athletic director, they've got they've got to have assistant athletic directors for shoelaces at Tennessee. Somebody's got to tap him on the shoulder and be like, you look like a clown, Jeremy. You look like an absolute clown who is not compliant to the rules that your commissioner set forth this week. Just put on a white, put on an orange, put on a blue. Shit. Like you were just drawing attention. It was like fluorescent mask violation. See, I thought he wore it well. I, I disagree. <laughs> this is like the Us Weekly who wore it better. I thought he looked good. It's just the mask. I think that we know at this point that the coronavirus is an airborne thing. You wear a mask to try to cut down on, on, on aerosols coming from your nose and mouth or getting in through your nose and mouth. So you would have a mask that would at least, at least approach some area near your nose and mouth. You would not wear something that covers your ears. It is not an ear... <laughs> I mean, just go like the coaches that don't wear it. Like Jimbo Fisher's wasn't this thing. It was it was hysterical. Like, what what's the plan here with this? Because it's not covering any of the parts that you. I mean, I get if you don't want to wear it and get fined, don't wear it and get fined. But this was hysterical. Like you're going, you're drawing attention to the fact that you're not wearing it. Uh, so poor execution by the Tennessee defense in the second half and uh, the mask. Then we get Lane Kiffin, who shows up uh, in his game against Alabama, where their offensive execution was brilliant. We can get to that. He's wearing what appears to be like a handkerchief or something. It's not. It, it, <laughs> there's so many gaps that no air is getting blocked at all. But in classic Lane Kiffin fashion, he turns it into a recruiting play. But as he puts first during the game, he wore DK Metcalf on there. So he's like honoring great players. But pregame, he wears one that says Manning. It has the numbers for Eli Manning and Archie Manning. And it says Manning right across the front of his face. And who have we discussed is the greatest recruit in the South right now. But none other than Arch Manning down there in New Orleans. And so if I'm this is this is a bit this is a stroke of genius in my thing. He's literally saying, reminding him, hey, Manning, I got your uncle. I got your grandpa right here. I thought that was great. The mask, completely ineffective on stopping any any viruses or even the common cold, <laughs> but, but used it as a recruiting tool. So I give the nod here, who wore it better, to Lane Kiffin. 
Pat? Well, well, clearly, because Lane never stops recruiting. And that was, I thought that was one of the more clever recruiting pitches I'd ever seen. Uh, in game, even, you know, <laughs> that's, that's Lane. I mean, how you come up with that? Uh, he's clearly, he spent a lot more time thinking about like stuff like that, like how to, how to come up with a clever recruiting mask than how to field a competent defense. They were actually on, on pace to have the worst defense in the history of college football. So we'll keep an eye on that. But, uh, but I, that was hilarious. Uh, the, the Jer- Jeremy Pruitt thing were in the babushka, uh, look, I, as I, <laughs> I did actually. I tweeted that he was doing a great job preventing the spread of ear COVID, but that is about <laughs> all that he was preventing. Uh, so that's that's just that is classic. That's that's so Jeremy Pruitt. It it, it almost hurts. I heard a, a high school coach explain that you wear it over your head, neck gaiters, because if you wear them around your just around your face, they start slipping down. So I get I get the over the head part, but you're not covering your face. So why even wear it in the in the begin with? You know, well, so exactly. you're, you're, that's the thing. yeah, you know. But over the hat, <laughs> the over the hat added some weird. Like it's like you put your your shoes on, then put the socks on over the shoes. <laughs> Take a look at this picture. Why wouldn't you put oh, it on, then put the hat, which would then provide some stability? I mean, I. Coaches are just really struggling with this. <laughs> they are struggling. These guys, they, the, like even a bad head coach is pretty good at like doing a lot of things. Like these are, you have to be a person of, of pretty considerable accomplishment in life to make it as far as SEC head coach. You have done a lot of Absolutely. things right in your life. You have worked very hard. You're, you're of, of, I would say above average acumen and talent. And now some of these guys suck in comparison to the other ones, but these are not like our, these are not our lowest, uh, you know, performing Americans. <laughs> Yet when it comes to mask wear, it just seems to befuddle them in in new and creative ways every week. Oh, so. yeah. Uh, and the best, you can always tell, too, I mean, the guys that are, like, just struggling to keep it on and, and can't stand, keep keep their hands off because they never wear them in practice. You can tell that. It's very easy to tell the, the people that ain't wearing them when, when nobody's looking. So the uh, Lane Kiffin mask recruiting pitch reminded me. Lane Kiffin's been around so long, we forget some of the wondrously shameless things that he's done in his career. So I, uh, I Googled this while we were on the phone. Uh, July 24th, 2012, Pac-12 Media Days. We're in the, uh, the heart of the recovery at Penn State from the Jerry Sandusky scandal and Bill O'Brien is the coach at Penn State at the time. He's in the thicket of that. And it's the time where guys can transfer or not transfer out of the program. He's trying to keep it together. Lane had just dealt with severe scholarship restrictions uh, as USC's head coach in the wake of the NCAA Pete Carroll scandal. So long story short, in the same press conference, Lane Kiffin both says, I'd be happy to counsel Bill O'Brien on dealing with scholarship restrictions and without naming him, essentially beg Silas Red, who is Penn State's star tailback, yeah. to come to USC, which, by the way, he did. Like, yeah. So he uses Media Day as a recruiting tool and says, our number one concern is our running back position. We're concerned about our depth there. Um, those players are open to go to any program. So I don't really think it's a big deal if a player were to come to USC because players have left our program. And he just basically openly recruits him there. And that, that's what that reminded me of. Never, never, Lane Kiffin would never waste an opportunity to shamelessly recruit. Absolutely no. genius. And I, I yes. think you're going to see those face masks now. It's going to be like L- linebacker you. And I mean, 
they'll put you could put like the name of a high school on there. Sure. You know, like you're hey, watch this. This week, watch, watch what I wear, right? Watch this kid. And it's all of a sudden says, you know, Lake Travis High School, you know, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Right, right across yeah. your mask. Isidore Newman. Yeah, Isidore Newman. Yeah, right. right? Probably have a different one for every quarter. So you Every can, week, you can... yeah, put a new one on. Yeah. Just that, yeah. I mean, you, that's what you got to do right now. You got to have face mask recruiting. <laughs> and and I think it's going to be a big thing, the rest of the thing. Lane, that's the best part of Lane is it's just, refi- <laughs> it's just like that. Like, just, I'm going to make a speech. I'll be counsel Bill O'Brien on it because we've lost a lot of guys and, and including our running back. So we could really use a really good running <laughs> yeah. back. And, I, I still think that my favorite Lane Kiffin was when he was about to get fired at Oakland. So he had Sebastian Janikowski attempt a 76 <laughs> oh, yeah. yard field goal at the end of the first half, because why the hell not? <laughs> I mean, he was 31 at the time. <laughs> he can't help himself. It's great. It's, it no, is the blessing can't. and curse of Lane Kiffin. He cannot the, help at himself. At the end of the right. first half against Alabama. And, and I would say they did a great job. Ole Miss played Alabama. I mean, oh, Alabama's man. defense is a wreck. Oh. And eventually they it was like a it was like watching a tennis match. And eventually yeah. they broke serve. Like Alabama broke serve on on Old Miss and you knew the game was over. It's like, oh, Serena's up a, a break in the third second set. It ain't coming back. But that was about it. But until then it was great. But at the end of the first half, with like I don't know how much seconds he had left, he ended up running out the clock and not going for it. And the announcers were praising him for his maturity. And I was like, that's actually not a I thought they keep going. Pedal on the metal, baby. They're like, ah, yeah. you got a good victory. Because, you know, every every announcer on TV is like the most conservative old failed 7-5 and five coach, right? <laughs> like, there's that. Yeah. Ah, we got but a good halftime. We're, half, we're trying to get tied at half. Like, hell no, you don't leave a possession on the field. Well, especially in a pinball game like that. Yeah, yeah. and you're trying to upset Alabama. What are you doing, Lane? So step it up, Lane. You were the guy who attempted a 76-yard field goal. Granted, you had Seabass kicking it, but how short was that field goal? Way short. I yeah, mean, it was like didn't even like, make the end zone. Did they put somebody back to run it? Yeah, but they tackled okay. him. He didn't care. Seventy six. Yeah. <laughs> There's a great video That's... of it. The crowd starts going bananas when they realize what he's doing. <laughs> <laughs> Tell you what, that was uh, Dabo. Dabo was. Damn near as ridiculous uh, Saturday night when he tried a sixty-one-yard oh. field goal at the end of the first half and got it blocked and ran back for a touchdown. That was that was the worst Dabo in-game decision I've seen. Yeah, three three blocked field goals on the day. All right, let's get to uh, Texas Oklahoma, which somehow we didn't uh, yet get to. Yeah. Um, classic. First off, Sam Ellinger does not know the word quit. No. We'll oh, give him man. that. And Oklahoma is the worst fourth quarter team ever. I don't even think they should be allowed to do that cheesy thing where you hold up four fingers at the end of the third quarter that every (laughs) single team does. I don't think they run. They run sprints after practice because the guys are all gassed. This is a tremendous 45 minute team. Yeah. If football were a 45 minute game, they'd be undefeated. They blow another lead. And then uh, it ended up in overtime. It ends up in what? Triple overtime? Quadruple, Quadruple I believe. Quadruple. Yeah. Anyway, they ended up winning it. It all works out. A f- phenomenal game. I was supposed to do something. I told my my wife I, uh, after the game ends, and it's like an hour later. <laughs> yeah, the still, game never still, ended. We're in overtime. Was, what do I want me to do? 
four hours plus. I mean, it was, yeah, it was about a four hour, 40 minute game. Thoughts on this and 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 how how bitter is Texas right now? Obviously, we have one young lady th- throwing up the bird <laughs> on national TV. <laughs> well, my first thought was like Lincoln Riley invited Texas back in the game. That was just malpractice of how to run and not run out the clock by throwing on that uh, on that possession. And he just he just he just invited them back in the game. So if they had lost and they were 0 three in the league, that would have been completely on him. I felt like my like the most compelling emotion after the game was I just felt awful for Sam Ellinger. Right. Like, I mean, the guy, he ran for four touchdowns, threw two more, took a bunch of hits. His O-line isn't very good. He was running around all day. He doesn't have very good receivers. And there he was just like answering the bell and answering the bell and running them down the field and answering the bell. And then obviously throws the pick in the end zone in the uh, in the fourth overtime. I was like, go for two. Like it maybe not at the end of regulation, but at one of the overtimes, like they haven't stopped you. Like roll Sam Ellinger out right and give him three receivers to throw to or let him try to run two and a half yards. Like I like those chances to win Red River. And I'm surprised that Tom Herman didn't uh, didn't do that in terms of Texas. Like they are exactly who we thought they were and exactly what they showed they were. They are mistake prone. They had 10 penalties for over 100 yards. They cannot tackle still. And their special teams are brutal, beyond brutal. The punter essentially gifted them seven points. And then the punter like tried to WWF body slam Marvin Mims after a 36 yard punt return. It was one of the worst games I've ever seen a punter have in all my years of covering college football. Like it, it, it just like the, the lack of discipline and the lack of accountability and the consistent penalties are exactly what we saw in their first two big 12 games. You know what? It was a lot of fun. That is a, always such a fun rivalry. And so, yeah, I mean, just to see See those two teams in the the split stadium, even if there's only 20,000 people in the stands, it's still, it's cool. But it was also a complete reminder of why both teams have been massive disappointments so far this year. I mean, they're just not very good teams. They don't, I mean, the the amount of mistakes, as Pete said, I mean, the, the punter's play where he got the punt blocked was like the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. He like took the snap and took the usual, like, three, four steps, you know, is kind of circular sideways like a Aussie rules punter does. But then he just kept going. He took four or five more steps until he just kicks it right into the Oklahoma guy. I mean, inexplicable. Uh, they missed, uh, what, a, a short field goal at some point in time. Uh, I mean, just yeah, the, the number of penalties that, oh, just I missed tackles. Both these teams are just, they're not physically tough and they're not mentally disciplined. And that, so that that's the bottom line. Now they produced a wonderfully entertaining game, but still, it just you're looking like what what's what's happened to Oklahoma and Texas? How have we gotten to this point where both teams are such sloppy messes? This is a little bit of old news, but uh, this somehow got went viral. The I, I'd never seen this story told in this manner. <laughs> Uh, regular listeners of the podcast remember we were very big on a couple of different incidents last year where someone threatened to blow up a bathroom. Uh, there was one down in New Orleans at the chicken joint. Yes. <laughs> and then there was a copycat crime at a Home Depot in Wichita. And this is this is what we have to worry about. Yes. I live in Michigan. We got militia guys and stuff. 
like threatening to kidnap the governor. One more reason we need Big Ten football back. Keep these people busy. Yeah. But um, on, ba- on uh, we st- uh, also quick update: we still have not captured the psychotic Michigan State fan who who crapped in the box and put it back on the on the on the shelf at Meyer. So that man is still still at large. large. He's yeah, on the still, loose. Yeah. Still Did you roll large. around Greater Michigan in your minivan, Dan, in search I, I, of him this weekend? I, I'm, I'm ready. <laughs> Did to, Red if, River prevent you from doing? If that? there's a militia <laughs> around here that will cunt that guy down, and that's our <laughs> only goal, I will join it. Okay, I'm not getting in on these other idiots. Okay, pretty glad these 13 are gone. But it's like remember in the Wire, uh, uh, Pete, when uh, at one point Stringer Bell wants to get Clay Davis assassinated. Yes. And Slim Charles like, you want to assassinate a yeah. <laughs> state senator now? Like, even our even our low dog criminal <laughs> enterprise. We're not we're not doing that. Anyway, this story uh, of the Home Depot that happened in the Home Depot, a man tried to uh, crap and he wanted to go to the bathroom at the Home Depot and he warned the other Home Depot patrons, his fellow patrons. I thought he was actually quite nice about it to warn them that they should get out of the bathroom because what was coming would be. <laughs> Uh, unpleasant to anyone else uh, in there. So we have an actual news report that I had never seen of this. So I'm going to play this right now. I don't know if you guys have seen this, but there is a woman relaying the news to the uh, the TV audience of wherever this is, uh, the tuned in for, to, to get up on up to date on what's happening in the world. And, and this obviously is, is one of the things. Homers for customers at a Kansas Home Depot. Police responded to reports of a bomb threat at the store in Wichita. A customer alerted employees. A man inside the bathroom said there was a bomb in the building. Police were able to locate the man responsible for those comments. And that man told police he warned other guests to leave the restroom because he was, quote, uh, fixing to blow it up, but had no intention of causing a panic. Man and also told police others in the room laughed, understanding his joke, which I'm just not getting. <laughs> Home Depot says they will not be pressing charges. But I can tell you right now, you asked the producer for me to read that, didn't you? <laughs> to eat it now, please. No. <laughs> oh. The co-anchor is just laughing. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to have to go to a commercial. No, break. we're going to get it. We're gonna get <laughs> straight out of anchor man. He sets yeah. up his co-anchor. Totally. She doesn't know what's on totally the teleprompter. If the evening news was like this, I'd watch it. <laughs> you see me sitting down every night at six. I think it should be anchor man and woman should should play pranks on each other every day like that yeah yeah then we'd have some stuff anyway if you're gonna warn your fellow uh you know people around i think that's a good thing uh if you're gonna you know do something nasty in a public bathroom but just don't use the term bomb just don't use (laughs) right don't say you're gonna blow up the bathroom no anyway that is the uh universal laugh we all need all right uh we hand out the Heisman Trophy at the end of the season, but not here on this podcast. We like to do it every single week because we're impatient. Hello, record book. Hello, small sample Heisman. How about that? Call it our small sample Heisman. Pat, do you have someone who won a Heisman Trophy this weekend? 
I do, and he might win the actual real Heisman Trophy. Uh, since I was there and I watched him play Clemson, I'm going with Travis Etienne, running back. Kind of surprised everybody by coming back for his senior year, and he has been sensational. He is the only player in the country with more than 200 receiving yards and more than 300 rushing yards from scrimmage. Uh, he's third in the nation in yards from scrimmage. He shredded Miami Saturday night, both catching passes, a career-high eight of those, and then running. Uh, I think he had 142 yards rushing. I asked Tony Elliott about what makes him so hard to tackle, and he said he's got the ideal build you want for running back. He's got thick thighs and a big behind, so if you hit him low, you're bouncing off of him. But then he also said, and when he runs, he just gets into a zone where he does not believe one person is going to tackle him. And that's largely true. One person very rarely tackles Travis Etienne. Uh, so he is my small sample Heisman by a small margin over his own teammate, Trevor Lawrence. Uh, quite a backfield they have at Clemson right now. Pete, who won the Heisman? So I am going to uh, go to Pat's alma mater and go with redshirt freshman quarterback Connor Bazelak, uh from Dayton, Ohio making his second career start against LSU. He was 29 of 34 for 406 yards and 85%. Basically, he was Joe Burrow, right? Um, and again, LSU isn't what LSU is, but for Connor Bazelak in his first start of the year, the second one of his career, to go out there and hang 406 on the defending national champions and deliver an improbable win with Three of his top five receivers gone. We are uh, we are going to give old Connor the small sample Heisman this week. All right, my small sample Heisman goes to Notre Dame left tackle Liam Eichenberg. That's right, the old lineman, yeah. big uglies, taking your uh, you know skill position guys. Uh, Liam got poked in the eye in Notre Dame's uh, 42-26 victory over Florida State, and uh, Sully and I are pissed they didn't cover although they tried they did go for it it was a literally Seminoles had a goal line stand at the end of the game to cover I thought there was more quit in you Florida State <laughs> damn disappointed on, at the lack of quit Brian Kelly went for it on fourth and goal in the two with like a minute left in the game to try to cover but thank you Brian Kelly he knows the subway alums, I what mean, they're looking sure. for. <laughs> really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was like, oh, no, they're going to keep Oh, no? Because it was 20. And they, no, no. He goes for it. So good on him. Anyway, good on Liam. Uh, he wound up with his big black eye. They were putting ice on it like he was a boxer. Doesn't matter. He went back in. So he wins it on behalf of an unbelievable offensive line. Uh, Florida, uh, Notre Dame had 353 yards rushing on 42 attempts. 8.2 yards per rush. You're going to win a few games. You are going to win a few games if you can rush the ball 8.2 times. Uh, Kyron Williams had uh, 185 and two TDs. Chris Tyree, 110 and one. Ian Book, 58 and one. Uh, they just crushed them. So congratulations to the Notre Dame offensive line. Liam, you can ice that thing up and, and work on your eye. Uh, hopefully the... Uh, all the all the uh, all the ladies like a, a fighter. So good job on the Heisman. All right, we said lots of mean things on this podcast. Uh, Pete literally fired the currently <laughs> reigning head <laughs> national championship head coach. 
um, <laughs> three games into the season or whatever. Can we say something nice? Pete, how about we start with you? Are you capable of saying something nice on this podcast? Yeah, I'm going to say something nice about uh, Mark Stoops at Kentucky and Brad White as D.C. To hold Mike Leach scoreless is something that has not happened in a game without a touchdown, I should say, in a very, very, very long time. And uh, I, I think like we all kind of bought the Kentucky hype a little bit early. I think we all were, uh, you know, thought they might be able to give Auburn a little bit more of the game of a game. And, and they were, in fairness, in that game before. You could you could say they actually made worse special teams decisions than Texas's punter this week um, in that in that Auburn game earlier in the year. But I just think, look, Kentucky's a tough job for Mississippi State to come there and just have no chance. KJ Costello threw four interceptions, got benched. Uh, that is just a phenomenal schematic job because let's face it, Mississippi State and Kentucky they have about the same caliber of players, right? Like, if anything, you you think Mississippi State has a little bit better players. So I'm going to say something nice about the Wildcats improving to one and two and basically putting a patch over the other eye of the Pirate because that's how Mississippi State looked on offense. I'm going to say it about Kansas State, particularly Coach Chris Kleiman. Uh, got a contract extension earlier in the week because you're 2-0 against Oklahoma. That's a damn good reason to extend the guy at Kansas State. But then they followed it up. Starting quarterback is out, Skylar Thompson, and uh, they are playing TCU. They're a nine-point dog in the game. They control the game. They win. They cover. Will Howard, backup quarterback, plays. He doesn't throw it particularly well, but he runs for 86 yards and a touchdown. Kansas State, after losing its opener to Arkansas State when they had a ton of guys out for COVID reasons, 3-0 and in the Big 12, Right now, the, the top of the Big 12 is Kansas State, Oklahoma State, Iowa State, baby. And I also have to throw in that Kansas State was my lock of the week, and I went 5-1 and one in the picks. I For some reason, I haven't heard Pete mention a lot about the, what happened as far as our picks over the weekend. Usually, we hear Pete getting a little chirpy when the picks go in his favor, and I just What's haven't heard anything like? from him. What's the I don't scoreboard? Know. I don't know. I'd like I to don't hear. Know. I'd like I to went 4-2, and two, I believe. I'm above think, 500. I know that. I Anyone believe like I am to join too. me up there? I, I believe I am too. I don't know. What do we got, really? Sully? Yeah, I don't uh. think I ended up picks this week, guys. Sully, <laughs> Sully had a bad week. There we go. Sully, yeah. Sully with, loaned Wolf Virginia Tech without realizing a third of the roster wasn't going to play. Yeah, that wasn't a good <laughs> you did that halftime, Sully. So you had to feel pretty good about your Vols covering. All right. I'm going to say something nice about the Iowa State Cyclones. Also doing great as. Pat mentioned in the uh, Big 12, 3-0, and that early season loss, Louisiana uh, becoming more baffling. They blew out Texas uh, by Big 12 standards where every game is close. Uh, they blew out Texas Tech 31-15 on Saturday. Brock Pur uh, Purdy uh, continued to play really well, 302 yards, two TDs. They are going to play Oklahoma State in a couple weeks in, in a huge showdown. Uh, I, think it's a, I think it's awesome that the Big 12 – title is basically a three-horse race right now now it's still early between iowa state kansas state and oklahoma state uh that's How about that yeah, that's <laughs> not, crazy not, right but iowa state's already got that win over they've beaten tcu they've beaten oklahoma they're 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 sitting kind of pretty as for this part of the year also uh just by playing it's clearly they continue to make the people in iowa city uh, go nuts we need the big 12 big 10 back uh i have the iowa city police log uh, oh, the the number of potential choices 
to show how nuts they are going in Iowa City without Big Ten football and having to watch Iowa State be good. It's just a plethora. I'm going to go with two from Saturday night. One, they clearly were watching domination of of Iowa State. uh, Party going on behind this house. Caller saw about 15 people vomit. (laughs) And they all looked pretty, quote, out of it, unquote. Want someone to make sure everyone is okay. The Iowa City, the Iowa students are just, they're just blackout getting drunk without being able to watch the Hawkeyes and waving at the kids. (laughs) We have to come back. And then my personal favorite crime that was reported, because I don't know how this quite gets reported, a a Summit bouncer, I believe Summit is a bar, Summit bouncer tried to sell fake ID back to person for 20 bucks. (laughs) So the bouncer took a kid's ID and it said, give me 20, I'll give it back. And apparently the kid called the cops. But you it's like wow. when they occasionally see those stories, like someone stole my weed. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm telling you, it's lawlessness in Iowa City. Lawlessness. The normally calm people of Iowa have lost it. So we how need come we don't Hawkeye have football. The and, Bush and Light sponsoring the Iowa City police log weekly segment. Like, how, yeah. how hasn't that happened yet? Where are you, Bush Light? Oh, <laughs> no. <laughs> Sully's still like, I'm mad about my balls. Leave me alone. <laughs> He's just, it's been a subdued Sully. That's all right. We'll, he'll, he'll get over it. Uh, we'll be back on uh, later in the week, midweek. Leave us a nice review. Tell your friends. Share us on social media. And uh, we'll get hyped up for the big one. Alabama, Georgia. Minus this week. six. Tide versus dogs. Oh, oh really? Give me the dogs Jordan. and the points. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. All right. That is a that's interesting. All right. We'll discuss that and more later in the week. Thanks for listening.